You're tuned in to RX Radio. Movement prescribed. Brought to you by Prescript.com. A personalized approach to keeping you healthy and making your best even better. Your hosts, Dr. Jordan Shallow and Dr. Jordan Jinta. All right, guys. Welcome back. Another episode of RX Radio uh, with you, as always. Jordan Shallow here. Uh, before we get started, I want you, everyone stop. Stop what you're doing and listen. Uh, Skill Acquisition Blueprint is live on Prescript, and it is 100% free. Not only are you going to get a field guide into the skill acquisition model and how it is we can begin to master skills of exercise, uh, but also really, I mean, to create a framework in order to master the skill of, of anything which I think is the interesting part about the transference of this model. So skill acquisition blueprint is live www.pre-script.com slash skill dash acquisition. I know, you know what? Just go to the show notes, go on Instagram at the underscore muscle underscore doc, go find Killian Hamilton. All the links are going to be there. Um, so again, get over there because that's going to be the first group that gets, uh, you know, limited or first access to the skill acquisition course, Prescript skill acquisition goes live Thursday, i.e. tomorrow morning. Um, so if you download the free PDF, you're going to enter on into that email list to be the first to know about the registration. Registration is going to be limited, so you're going to want to get over there. And if not, you know, fuck, just download the PDF and, and, and learn a little bit about, I think, a model that helps, you know, predict and prepare you or helps, you know, prepare you to predict might be a better way uh you know the successes and downfalls of your exercise programming for you and your clients uh, so six week course will go live in january but again the pdf is entirely free so skill acquisition blueprint on prescript.com head over there now to download get on the list and be the first to know tomorrow morning when this uh when the course goes live that's thursday i don't know november whatever let's double check the schedule here let's make it official shall we so we're looking at course goes live for registration on thursday the 19th this episode is going to come to you on wednesday the 18th so head on over to pre-script.com slash skill dash acquisition or just hit the link in the bio and then hit the link in the bio hit the link in the show notes let's try that and once you've hit that link in the show notes you're going to automatically be put on a list to be the first to know for when registration opens on thursday morning i.e tomorrow without any further ado guys BPAC, Ben Pakulski. We went um, out to MI40 to visit to visit the uh, the Oracle on the Hill, as it were. Mr. Pakulski, a great friend of mine, a great mentor. Um, you know, at, at this point, essentially uh, a brother I never had. He he looks out for me uh, and always has since we we met a handful of years ago. So it was great to sit down and talk with Ben in kind of in the lion's den and in his wheelhouse. Now I really think you know Ben has transcended the world of professional bodybuilding and just entered in to this this ethereal realm of, of consciousness and awareness and what he does through the vehicle of muscle building with the muscle intelligence um, mentorship the muscle intelligence podcast the mi40 community nothing nothing shy of incredible he's had a huge impact on me ben thank you so much for your time man i always appreciate getting to sit down uh, it's it's sometimes uncomfortable but you know that's that's what that's what it's all about so guys i really hope you enjoy this podcast vice and virtue ben pakulski mi40 killian hamilton skill acquisition prescript rx radio i'm out yeah we're recording now <laughs> oh, just, just, just an fyi <laughs> this is happening okay what's up man 
Life is wonderful. From the last time we recorded? Do you remember where Australia? we were? Australia? Perth? Yeah, yeah, sitting in the in the Airbnb. Yeah, good times. That seems like forever ago. What was it? It was two years? January. Was it January last year? Yeah, January 2019. Yeah, been a ride, man. Thanks for having us back. Joined with, are you turning me down? Yeah, I'm turning you down. Turning me down, okay. You, you and everyone else in the world. And I'm gone. Better? Still high. I'm still here. How about now? Better. Jeez, yeah. Just going to turn me off. <laughs> well, thanks for having us out, man. Killian Hamilton, Bev Mikulski, MI40. Man, you guys are wonderful humans. That's amazing to have you here. All right, guys. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks very much. That's all we needed. We got it on record. <laughs> he paid me to say that. Um, yeah, man. It's true, truthfully always great to connect. We have a great conversation, Killian. Great addition, man. Yeah, thank you, Ben. This is a, a lifetime dream. It's already achieved. I'll just, go now. Just a couple Canadian kids yeah. from southwestern Ontario just trying to make it happen. Yeah, I'm not that cool, but thank oh, you. Oh, get out of here. Because yeah. you're, 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 I always forget if you're London or Toronto, because the first time I saw you, you were in London. I was uh, originally Toronto, and then I went to school in London. Uh, for, I went to Western there for four okay. years. Yeah. yeah. And then Tampa Bay now for nine years, ten years? How long have you been everywhere? Uh, yeah, ten years. I, I you know, still do my best to spend uh, as much of my time in Canada as I can. But a pilgrimage, especially when it's 100% humidity in November. It's 90 <laughs> degrees at 6 a.m. in the morning. This is the third <laughs> shirt I've worn today. Yeah. I've just been water cutting for two weeks. It, yeah, it was definitely been a hot couple of days, hasn't it? But you can't, I mean, uh, get angry about that, can you? Like, maybe you do, but when you go back to Toronto, you're going to freeze your balls off. So why don't you just appreciate the fact that you're not freezing? Well, that's the human nature thing, though, right? Yeah, like dude, I go out in the morning, and like I'm, it's 5.30 in the morning, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm like, I couldn't do this if I was in Canada right now. I would be avoiding this at all costs. I spent a few weeks in Canada last January. And it was the worst thing of my life. I was like, I'm never coming back here in January again. I'm going to go to Costa Rica, and I'm not going back to Toronto in the winter. I just won't. Is that just because it's not a novelty, right? Like, there's people who go to Toronto every year just because it's cold. Yeah, but I'm an early morning guy. I want to get up at 4.30. I want to go go for a walk. I want to go to the gym. I get up before the in the morning. I'm like, it's pitch black. I want to go back to bed. I don't want to go outside. You know, wear a fucking snowsuit. I was like, I don't want to do this. See? And this may be worth, worth actually talking about because you seem like the person that never succumbs to that voice. It's like living and traveling with you. The 4.30 a.m. thing was real. I tell the stories all the time of like, you're already 30 pages deep by the time I like wake up and get out of bed. And but like, has there ever been a time where you just you just don't do it? Yeah, man. Like, well, so you are human. No, it's it, it's certainly a struggle when I'm in case. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm spoiled to be kind of be where I want in the world. If I, if I like it warm, I'm going to go somewhere warm. Um, so getting up and, and, and I did every day and I got up and I still went to the gym, but it was still not fun. Like it was, it was like, man, I, this is not as easy. It just makes me appreciate when it's uh, a little more comfortable. But do not fun and uncomfortable is your brand. Yeah. But why wouldn't you do it? I don't understand why there'd be any other option. Just cause something's uncomfortable doesn't mean you stop. It means you keep going. Right. It's a sign of change. But that's like, that's your whole, t how many people I've come across that their Instagram bio, whatever is you can't, therefore you must. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I know exactly. That was every day of my life. Right. But like, what, like, has there been times where you, the thought of you can't turn, has ever turned into, I haven't? Never. Okay. That's, uh, that's the special. I think, switch. I, I think I have too much discon self discontent <laughs> to, to ever stop. Like it's the mountain that never ends, right? It, it's the conveyor belt of, of life. And if you stop, you get flung back somewhere. I really have that belief of like, I can't slow down. There's a lot of people depending on me. I want to accomplish amazing things. No. 
so it, does the driving factor change? Like we've been talking about the loss a lot in the last couple of weeks. Like, you know, I, I'll have people be like, oh, like you should take a vacation or you should relax or you should, you should take a break. And that's the last conversation I have with them. My like, life, go my life is a vacation, right? Right. Like as much as I work exponentially more than everybody else, I do what I love every day. I've never worked a day in my life. People are like, how do you work 16 hours a day? I'm like, well, why don't you work 16 hours a day? You're doing the wrong thing if you don't, yeah. you know, or to whatever more, right? But does the motivation change? Like you mentioned a few things there that could incite you to action. Like one is that you like what to do. We also, you also cited discontent for yourself, but you also yeah, cited yeah. responsibility for others. Yeah. All of those. Right. I don't know if it ever changes. I think it's just, um, whichever one is, is most highlighted in the moment. Um, but yeah, the idea of not getting up doesn't ever cross my mind. The idea of not getting the work done doesn't cross my mind. I just do whatever I need to do. Now that can become a blessing and a curse, right? In and of itself, as you know, it's like if you're on a deadline, you got to get shit done and you're, you're looking for any way necessary to get things done. That's not always the most healthy way to go about life psychologically and physically. Um, so you, you're trying to find the balance of like, how do I do this yet still optimize and thrive, right? Because I could certainly run myself into the ground, never stop working and, and die at 45 or 50 years old. But trying to, you know, schedule enough, plan enough so that you're actually getting stuff done and not running yourself into the ground. When was that? Like, what was the tipping point where that was born of necessity? Because it's like, you know, it's uh, it's like frequency. It's like pendulum sh like shifts. We're at a certain point, man. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. We both kind of grew up watching the ascension of this kid from Ontario, like just be you know larger than life. At a certain point, you were no way balanced, right? There had to have been a point where you were just like you had to be all in, like just to be who you were in the bodybuilding uh, world. I was definitely a mentally unstable human through the bodybuilding world. Um, when did it shift? What was the impetus to start to find balance? Because imbalance, Pain. I think, would make you a good Pain. at what you did. Well, there, there's so there's a few people ask the question. That's effectively why I left bodybuilding, right? Is um, no longer having a driving force, no longer having a driving purpose, um, realizing things are more important in life than myself, my my uh, selfish pursuit of Mr. being Mr. Olympia. Um, so it was this kind of sequence of events where, you know, 2012, my son was born. It was also happened to be the first time I did the Mr. Olympia. I was like, oh, I'm good. I can I can keep going with my son. He's going to be my little training buddy. And then I started to just notice myself, you know, almost fighting with like, I want to spend time with him. I want to be a great dad. You know, he's crawling around the ground. I want to be there. And I'm like, I can't do that because I'm too tired or I have to go eat or have to do these other things. So I started kind of weighing my priorities in my head. And then my daughter was born 18 months after my son and, and uh, just put me over the top, man. You just can't value the same things anymore. So that was when it shifted for me, or at least the catalyst for the shift. And I still lingered a little bit longer than I wanted to. But I think it's a value question, right? It's like, what do you value right now? And, and if you get your value straight, um, you know, being that relentless, um, angry, driven person what really served me well when I was aiming to be the best bodybuilder in the world, but didn't serve me well to go home and be a loving, caring dad to my children. And not being an amazing dad was not an option. I would not accept not being there for them. I would not accept um, giving them everything they need, you know, whether it be monetary, loving-wise, acceptance, education-wise. Um, uh, my highest value in life is being there for my children because I have a story around why no one was there for me, whether or not that's true or not. That's the story I, I told myself. Uh, so 
I shifted my values. And I'm like, well, that becomes the driving force now. So when they're the driving force, I make decisions based on different criteria. And I want to stick around a while because I love them and I want to be there for them. And I, I don't care if I die, but I don't want to abandon them and have them set because they haven't figured out, you know, that if dad's gone, it's not really that big of a deal or, you know, maybe it is. Um, I just want to be there for them. So that, that shifts my priorities to like, okay, I, I need to value my time. I need to value my health. I need to value them more than anything. And that's what shifted, I guess, if that answers your question in the securest way. Yeah, I just think like with that, like with what you're doing now with the muscle intelligence and the mentorship program and dealing with people who are like attempting to maybe ascend it. I don't know if this is the right way to word it, but what are the obstacles you start to see as you, you try and help people along the way now, and now you're of service of not yourself, but of other people and so many people around sure. the world, right? Well, here, here's the dichotomy, right? It's it's the vice versus virtue um, conversation with respect to muscle building. So in, in modern day bodybuilding, we'll put that in quotations and put but, but modern day bodybuilding in a lowercase b, and we'll say, well, it's this this uh, pursuit of external gratification, pursuit of, of egocentric drive to... Um, be noticed and, and have significance whereas uh, so that's where i lived for the first you know call it eight years or or so and then i started to realize how empty it was and i was like man i'm building all this muscle i'm accomplishing all these things that externally everyone goes holy shit this guy's fucking awesome but internally i felt empty and i felt like a shell and so i started to, to explore uh, what it looks like to to uh, you know, look inside to find virtue rather than pursuing vice. So when you're, you know, young and you're like, hey, man, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to do this. And it doesn't matter who I step on. It doesn't matter what I accomplish. I'm thinking about the end result. And that was that's the reality that most people live in this fitness industry. They're thinking about the end result. They're thinking about the sponsorships, the likes, the, the $7 trophy. I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this and, and completely reverse it on end and, and attach myself to the process. And I'm going to show up at the gym every day and be my best in my diet. I'm going to be my best in my family. I'm going to be my best today because I'm, I'm more focused on what this obstacle and what this opportunity provides for me as far as becoming a better human being. So I flipped that on end. And when I was able to do that, everything started to change for me. I had so much more uh, satisfaction, so much more confidence, so much more... Uh, insight, um, so much more appreciation for myself and for, for challenges. Cause I was like, I see a challenge and I move toward it. Cause I'm like, Oh, opportunity for growth. Whereas before I was like, what can I do to get around this thing? Cause I just want to get to the end. Um, and so if I can convey that message and, and put that message on young aspiring fitness experts and professionals or anyone in the fitness realm, realizing that exercise is an opportunity to become the greatest version of yourself. Mm, are we okay? Yeah, you're good. All right, I'm just getting loud. Firing me up. No, you're good. Um, exercise should be intentionally curated obstacles, right? It should be I'm intentionally moving toward things that I'm not good at. I'm getting really loud in my yeah. ear, Drew. Yeah, I'm turning this down. So Thanks. Um, rather than what, what can I do mindlessly that I know I can do well? So rather than seeking gratification, because like I want people to tell me how good I am at something, I'm going to look at the things that I suck at. I'm going to move toward those and I'm going to see that as an opportunity. I'm going to constantly beat myself into those things and whatever it is and go, that's the weakness I need to improve to get better, to be a better human being, to be a better athlete, to be a better whatever. Um, so we're developing unimpeachable credentials, right? We're developing characteristics and credentials. And exercise can be your, your daily battleground because as we spoke about the other night, an obstacle is necessary. Challenge is necessary to develop anything, 
and in life, there's not enough of those. There's not enough of, of challenges that don't have huge amount of potential back end risk. Bodybuilding is controlled risk. I can progress it. I can I can implement discipline and persistence and all of the virtues, right? Whatever you want to go at, you can, you can build that into bodybuilding. And that's what I hope to impart on anyone starting in the fitness journey or in the fitness journey. Stop fucking worrying about likes and, and $7 trophies and start worrying about who do I become in the process. Cause, because at the end of the day, nobody in the world gives a fuck if you're Mr. Olympia. Nobody, except the shallow people. The person you need that you need to think about is yourself. So at the end of the day, if you become the type of person who is confident and, and fulfilled in what you have done, the person that you have become, you will dominate anything you do in life. It's like, I can go out and eat a donut right now, prepare, prepare for my contest. Nobody will know. I'll know. Right. And that's, that's the discipline. That's the vice versus virtue. Like I can do it and fucking lie about it. And nobody's going to know, but I'll know. So pursuing those things of, of developing character, um, that, will then transfer into any other aspect of life. And when that could be relationships and, and family and that could be business. And that's where I, what I'm after now. And obviously probably for the last 10 years is, is the development of virtue that nobody ever spoke about when I was a kid. So when I got into bodybuilding at 17 years old, I started looking for an idol or a mentor. It's like, who can I follow that gets all this shit? Zero. And, uh, you know, you find somebody who kind of understands training a little bit. Someone understands nutrition a little bit someone that understands mindset a little bit, but nobody that does all of them. So I was like, okay, well, how do I do become that? And that's where I am now. Like doing my best to become a virtuous human who still works harder than most humans and loves it. Not because I have to, right? I'm like, that's just who I am now. It's, it's part of my character. There's no more like, you know, is it, is there days where I'm like, fuck, it's freezing outside. I don't want to go outside. Sure. But I'm like, good. Then my body will adapt go anyways right and and when that comes up i'll sometimes do the opposite right and i'll go i don't want to go outside it's 5 30 in the morning it's minus 20 outside i'm not going to wear my shoes that's my response right that's the response is like and, and i think i've told you about this when meditation gets hard put a marble in your back pocket yeah, yeah like well it's really hard today good fucking lean in right rather than moving around it and and, and ultimately instilling and, and developing weakness you're going okay i see the weakness coming i'm gonna lean in so literally last year in january i was like i fucking hate the cold i don't want to go outside all right you're leaving shoes here let's go right because at the gym you don't train in shoes anyways so you're like i'm just gonna walk through the snow and see if i can endure this and enjoy it a little bit and i actually intentionally stayed outside longer than i should have because i was like well how long could i endure this before i get really uncomfortable it kind of brings up a question I had, like, with your shifting mindset. And, like, we've talked about, like, the aggression and, like, the hardcore nature of training for something. And, and you and I talked about this with John the other day, a friend of ours, where we were saying, like, you do what you do when you have to do it. And that doesn't mean you have to do it forever. And it's just, like, what, what is the translation of the, the intensity and the aggression which you trained? And, like, I grew up watching you. Like, how, do you, how did you move that stimulus now into this? more virtuous pursuit like yeah i'm just wondering like how can you recreate that same stimulus adaptation from aggression to positivity i think knowing that it's in you so uh, we talked about this the other night yeah. like i have a gear that most other humans on the planet will never be able to access agreed um and i know it's there and that gives me power it doesn't mean i need to use it but i can if i want to and i think that's a very powerful thing to develop and um, it's it's a switch that, you know, 
I hope every human has the opportunity to develop. But the only way to develop it is going there. Yeah. Like you got to go there and it doesn't have to be angry, no. but whatever it takes to get there, you go there. And once it's there, it's there. It's the tool in your pocket that nobody else gets to look at. Right. It's like, Hey, I walk into a room. I know it's there. I'm not saying I'm the strongest guy in the room. I'm not even saying I'm the most powerful guy in the room, but I know that there's a, there's a gear there that not everyone else has. And so when it comes to business, I can walk into a room and go, I'm willing to do whatever the it takes to, to succeed at this. If it comes to a hard relationship, I can come like, hey, whatever it takes. So it eliminates that little bit of fear. It a little bit eliminates a little bit of hesitation. And then eventually that becomes who you are, right? A state turns into a trait. And then I could walk into a room and go, I'm just inherently always confident when I walk into a room because I went through those periods of like, I'm not really confident. Oh, wait, I have that. I'm okay. You know, you say it's almost like that unconscious you know what ultimately was conscious then becomes unconscious yeah um does that make sense no it does i have a i tell i told shall i tell shall about this all the time and like i always remember this from being a kid like i love my old man i think my dad's like the greatest guy in the world but the way he taught me to have that gear is like my dad's five six two twenty grew up playing a ton of sports like went to olympic trials for wrestling so when i was a kid every day just choked me out we just wrestle and he was a grown man and he just choked me out and it was like, but I realized the fourth or fifth time of him choking me, like there's a way to choke someone and like actually put them unconscious or there's a way to just make it really uncomfortable. And he would never do it to choke me unconscious. He would just do it to make it feel really uncomfortable. And I realized like you can live in an uncomfortable state as long as you choose to live in an uncomfortable state. And I think for me, like finding that in something, like I found that in powerlifting with weight cutting. Like, I think powerlifting is the biggest joke of a hobby in every hotel lobby in America, but the idea that I can cut as much weight as I want and show up and compete in a ridiculous weight class was so interesting to me because that was challenging. Like, I used to cut 30 pounds, 27 pounds, 32 pounds. Like, I'd walk around 179, cut to 146. Like, I would, at the last week of cutting, like, I'd chew ice cubes, spit them out, and then wipe my tongue with a credit card <laughs> to get the moisture off. Yeah, I'd wash my hair in a sink and blow dry it at the same time well, just I, to not stink. I mean, we know a lot of people on either end of the spectrum. Like I know a lot of people who inherently have that gear, right? whether they're military, whether police, whether they're athletes. But the, the virtue in being able to take that gear and apply it into a different vehicle, to a different medium, I think is the hard part, right? Like I know a lot of people that have run through walls. But the hard part is they just run through they just run through walls like that's yeah. it. So I think the acceptance of your darkness is a big part of becoming a not dark person. So some people, when you try to repress those demons, is when they're going to fight back up. And so um, as soon as you can accept, it's, it's you know you know where this actually first came um, onto my radar and became apparent. There's a guy named Gabor Mate, and if you haven't read his books, read them. You're gonna love him. And he speaks about. Um, people with PTSD trying to deny what they've done. And like, he's like, no, you don't deny what you've done. You accept what you've done and you know that it's there and you know, you're capable of doing, but you consciously choose to not. And that's power. Right. And that, that as soon as he said that to me, I was like, why didn't somebody explain this in the past? Um, cause that's what it is. Cause like, I know that inside there's that angry pissed off kid who would literally smash his head through a wall or someone else's. But I choose not to use that. Like, I can stand there and you talk to her like, hey, how can you not don't smash this guy over the head? Because I can. And if I start, I won't stop. So therefore, I don't need to start. Right. Um, th and that's a powerful place to come with the world, like standing in front of someone, knowing that there's fear in you. There's fear in me. 
and I have that person inside, but I don't need to use it unless I need to use it. Right. Yeah. That's like the Jungian shadow, right? Like you talked about Carl Jung as someone yeah. that you've been reading recently. And it's just, just interesting to contrast because like you're known for the statement of, you know, because, because if you can't, that means you must. But the flip side of that is what you're saying right now is if you can, then you shouldn't. In some cases, right? like <laughs> yes. that's the other side of that coin. Yes. I was like, look, I can't go outside because it's fucking negative 20. And you're going to, you can, you're going to go with the shoes on. It's like, look, I, I, I want to smash this guy's head in and I can, but you won't. Yeah. So every, every, you know, great um, fighter, I'm sure knows they walk into the bar and they go, well, I'm pretty sure that I could smash everyone in here. And there is 10 friends at the same time. But why would I? It's not a challenge at that point. Like, I don't need to do that. And I'm not saying that's me. I'm not coming, coming in like being all arrogant and saying I'm going to beat people up. That's not what I'm getting at. But, um, yeah, you're, yeah. Like, if you can, you don't have to. Right. Yeah. But it's hard. Like, the people who have that ability and are rewarded for that ability. Like, you know, we, we spoke earlier with a friend, John. He was, you know, an active military serviceman. I know here in Tampa with SOCOM, there's a lot of guys there. And they struggle with, you know, like you kind of talked about with Gabor is like, you've done some things that you didn't think you were able to do, but the first step is understanding that you're very capable of being able to do that and probably worse shit than you've actually done so far. And that like the fact that you no longer, you choose no longer do that is kind of like the nobility or the virtue. The hard part is people cannot get away from that. Like filling that void with something productive. Like how many guys I know get back from the military and get into things that are maybe, I don't want to say negative, but maybe not positive in the sense that that virtue yeah. is now being of service to others other than themselves. And there's also an interesting conversation to be had around um, the intentional pursuit of doing things that are hard, right? So, like, if I if I know that I've done things that are hard, but I know I haven't scratched the surface, like, I could go deeper, like you just said. I could do things that are much, much harder. How do you, how do you hold yourself back from pursuing those things, knowing that a lot of things could be destructive to yourself and others? That's a, that's a challenging conversation. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, I'm going to see how far I can push that. And then it hurt themselves or other people. Um, again, don't know the answer. I think, I think this is kind of funny. Like we can relate it to many things. And I just think of like capacity creates capability. And it's like you said with people with PTSD and like knowing you've done something or experienced something that may be, you know, the, the 11, um, the 11 on the chart instead of the 10 or the nine said, it's like, I have this capacity and like, I still exist or I'm still here. Or I'm still present to understand that I have that capacity. Well, that's only capability to do other things. Right. I think, I think when we look at things as, as action gratification and consequence based, we don't understand what capacity means because we associate an action or an experience with a consequence or gratification. I did this. Therefore the end was a $7 trophy, but that's not the end of that pursuit, right? Like your ability to become, the greatest bodybuilder on the planet isn't a pursuit of a trophy. It's the pursuit of maybe status, but maybe it's more than status. Maybe it's a capacity. Like if I can do that, therefore there's no physiological barriers left. If there's no physiological barriers left, there must've been a neurological capacity to create physiological change. That neurological capacity is transference, right? So I think when we associate action and behavior with consequence and gratification only, we trap ourselves within the straight line, not the circle around it. So I think it's the idea of understanding like capacity is this over encompassing, like kind of liquidity of like a sphere. And it's like, you can draw parallel lines through it however you want, right? If you've experienced inferno, if you've experienced hell, well, the opposite of that is paradise. It's right. Like, if I can have the worst, I can also have the best because I have this capacity to slingshot the other direction yeah. because without polarity, I don't understand the other side. If you don't have adversity, everything is always good till it's not 
right? Shit doesn't matter till it does. But it's like, if I've had the worst, then literally the gradient scale of better than cheap eggs is the best. Like when I went from checking the unit price of eggs to buying omega-3 eggs, I was like, these are great eggs. Then I had free run eggs. I'm like, these are even better eggs. Then I had an ostrich egg. I'm like, it's the fucking greatest egg I've ever had. Well, so there's a gradient there. If I grew up just eating free range eggs, any egg below it is not good enough. So I think it's this idea of this slingshot that exists in polarity. It's a capacity, which is capability. I just think a hard part now is most people exist somewhere. If you're listening to this podcast on an iPhone, you don't have problems. Yeah. Right? Like if you're in Freetown, Sierra Leone, and you're hearing this through someone else's headphones, like, all right, maybe that you're you're in a, a place maybe further down towards the end of the spectrum where everything is like we could talk about growing up in Windsor and like the only thing when you look up in Windsor you see is the floating cloud of smog coming in from River Rouge right because like I had the, the, the winds blowing towards Windsor yeah. open the stacks and they just fucking dump all the cancer the, into the rusted air. grass right <laughs> right but like when I moved to California it was like every day I drove and it looked like a it looked like a roadrunner backdrop that was just going to pull up into the sky and I just see the factories again it's like oh look at the Sierras and it's like those aren't real there's no way that's real but like a lot of people don't, they can't calibrate across that straight line to either end of that polarity, right? Like, yes. that's why like I think reading has become valuable because you can like, I'll never experience really bad shit. Right? I've lived in my car with like, yeah, it was still four on it. Like, it, it that, had some and space this too. is exactly what we're talking about: is our, our world is too easy. Like, and you need to find something objective that allows you to curate obstacles. Otherwise, you're going to be soft and weak, and you're going to have anxiety and depression, like because it's fucking built in. Like, if you don't have obstacles to overcome, you can't develop anything significant. You can't develop virtues. It's impossible. So I think human being needs fight, needs war, needs whatever to develop virtue. Otherwise, what do you do? This is the this is the stoicism argument. Yeah. The greatest Stoics experienced adversity before becoming Stoic. Marcus Aurelius is one of the greatest yep. military commanders of all time. He deserves to be Stoic. He experienced something in which he can now create a gradient in the opposing direction. Mm -hmm. He can live in his own head because you have to do what you have to do until you don't have to do it anymore. Well, at some point, he didn't have to do that. Meditations is the perfect example of yeah. a guy meditating on previous capacity of doing terrible things it doesn't exist for you if you don't have it. so is that your kind of adversity against modern day stoicism yeah yeah i, I totally uh, agree okay great because yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> what's the bucket uh, thing yeah. oh so dostoevsky wrote that you can't live a bucket live in a bucket in russia he was adverse to stoicism because he said you can live in a bucket in greece because it's 25 degrees outside and no one's trying to kill you if you live in russia in a bucket it's negative 40 and everyone's trying to eat you it doesn't work there you know it doesn't work in a slum in Brazil to be stoic. I can't, the greatest vacation in my mind in Ethiopia isn't my mind. It's probably the American dream, right? I have a friend. She's my greatest friend on the entire planet. She grew up in Ethiopia till she was 14, never had a pair of shoes, lived with a hundred kids in an orphanage in the middle of the desert. And we go get ice cream now and you'll never see someone happier. She's been here for 10, 14 years. And every time she gets an ice cream, she gets the littlest spoon and eats it as slow as possible. It's the greatest day on earth. They used to get like mints, like dinner mints from like travelers that would come in and kids would sit with it in their pocket for weeks because they didn't want to eat it. And it's like, she could go be a stoic right now. Of course she sure. could. Sure. I can't be a stoic. Dude, I can buy any candy I want. Penny candy in Windsor? Unload a $5 bill at the gas station? I'd be set for weeks. I don't know what it's like to not have that. Therefore... Yeah. I can easily go to an ice cream store and go, nah, I don't want it today. Do you think consciously choosing, you know, 
call it uh, temperance, yeah. can instill those things in you. Because certainly we could choose, like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm going to be uh, an aesthetic, or ascetic, and and like I'm going to do these things that are intentionally curating discipline and challenge. Mm -hmm. Maybe, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna restrict myself to the. But then you're looking at, well, uh, I don't know. You can always choose to step out, right? Yeah, I, that's why I still buy the cheap eggs. Right. Yeah, that's, that's why I still have the blueberry elastic band around my expensive wallet. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Because so I, I don't think it's the same when you can consciously choose to step out. It's, it's maybe, not, maybe it's, it is. It's not at all. And I don't think at all I can yeah. have the same experience as anybody who's actually had adversity. But I yeah. think I think it's just a daily reminder, right? It's like it's creating the gradient scale. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you can be stoic on Instagram. You can't. And that's that's the hard part. Because like, I'm interested in, in it, like to get your if you were to be able to proceduralize this, right, in someone, someone comes to you and they're like 22, 23, then, you know, they're maybe not as, like I know the impact you've had on my life and just traveling with you over the last couple of years. And it's like, how, how, do, you, how do you proceduralize this process? Like, because I mean, how did you, you, you kind of, you can now look back retrospectively to the, you know, 10, 15 years of professional bodybuilding, be like, oh, okay, this is how I got here. It wasn't necessarily how I planned it, and, but if you were to advise someone, what would be like the advice or the procedure? Like, okay, step by step, this is what you're going to have to do. Or is it just sort of an experience that people have to go through? I'm working on it. I'm working on pulling that out of my psyche or, uh, or out of the world. Having a conversation with you guys helps, right? It's like, how do you curate that? Because I think it exists. And that's maybe my next mission in, in life is like, well, I love training. I love bodybuilding. But I don't do it for you know, the gratification of someone saying, hey, man, you look awesome. And, and that was a powerful moment for me is allowing me to leave bodybuilding. It was like I was at the Arnold, I think I told you the story, and I had 500-plus people in line. And zero told me that I was their favorite bodybuilder, but everyone said I changed their life. And I was like, okay, well, that's that's something to that. Um, so I'm looking for things that we can intentionally curate to help people change their life, not just fucking look good in a pair of shorts. And that, yes, that will be a side effect, right? That'll be like, hey, because you're disciplined, because you train hard, you're going to look amazing. But that's not the goal. That's the side effect. The goal is I'm becoming a better person. I'm becoming virtuous. I'm becoming a leader. Ultimately, I'm becoming a hero. And the definition for me is a hero has the strength to show up for everything you need and somebody else. You have the strength for two. Right, so it's like I, I have the strength and the courage um, and the virtue to show up in any situation and and lead and be everything I need to be in that situation, and for somebody else, right? So step one would be awareness. Always, right? It's, it's, so the awareness that you weren't the always. favorite bodybuilder, but that you were having like an impact over influence. Yeah, so the like, only way to change, I think, is you have to have. Awareness. It's consciousness is the root of everything. So, and, and this is why I also say exercise is the path. Not everyone's willing to sit down and meditate. Fine. How about we take that bicep curl you're already doing, that lat pull down you're already doing, that deadlift you're already doing, and turn that into a mindful experience, right? Turn that into a quote-unquote meditative experience. Whether or not you like the term or not, you can turn that into something that's mindless, or you can turn that into something that's mindful, depending on where you put your consciousness, where you put your thought. That's what I'm teaching. That's what I'm building into the programs. Because like this is this is the opportunity to take this undirected community of of fitness enthusiasts and go, hey, we can actually do this to become significantly more fulfilled human beings rather than significantly more egocentric and, and instant, you know, seeking instant gratification. So that's what we're working on. Yeah, so it's funny we run on like parallel wavelengths. Like we won't talk for months on end. Like hey, babe, like we've been doing. 
Same, yeah, same, shit, same shit as you, right? <laughs> and well, one of the things we were training yesterday, and you're like, "Hey, you know, when I, when I traveled with you, I always tell the story of like literally tripping over you in like a kitchen and somewhere in like uh, manly northern beaches of Sydney, it's like four thirty in the morning. I thought there was a giant fucking wallaby in the kitchen, just sitting there cross-legged. <laughs> I don't even know how the fuck you did it. And you're just sitting there, kind of like going off into a meditation. Like, oh, Jesus Christ! I was like trying to wake up because we're training at some ungodly time in the morning. And you asked me yesterday, you're like, "Hey, do you?" have you been meditating enough like i've been training but then we started to talk about like you know i my brain just goes straight into mechanics whenever i do anything and we've been running sort of parallel experiments with breathing and training and then but i thought about it and i, I kind of just said it haphazardly as like yeah, yeah, yeah whatever man like i'm not sitting cross-legged on the floor doing the guided stuff but i'm like well actually with the way i've been training lately and with the discussions we've been having and the stuff that we've been teaching around just the mechanics of breathing it's probably more closer to the, the point that I've ever been. Even when, you know, I did, you know, I, the, the Sam Harris waking up app, you're like, look, man, you're stressed out of your face. Your life's falling apart. Give it 30 days. I remember I was sleeping in Presley's bed <laughs> and she was sleeping in another room and I had this princess bed that I was sleeping. In. I was like, yeah, yeah, life's not, life's not really where I thought it was going to be right now. When you came to town, I said, Press, Jordan's in town. She, he goes, he's not allowed to have my bed. That's he's like, dude, you broke it last time. Dude, she would, <laughs> she would roast me. I would go out and like, just, I don't know, I wouldn't come home. And she'd like, the next morning, it's as if she was sitting in the chair with the lamp on. Like, she was, I don't know, six, maybe? Not even. Not even. Yeah, she was five. like, five? And she's like, <laughs> you didn't come home last night. Like, lamp over the chair, sitting in the corner. I'm like... <laughs> like I'm getting, I think I'm so sorry. Next day, same thing. You didn't come home again last night. I said, Don't you go to bed at eight o'clock? Like, how do you know I'm not coming home? She's doing like bed checks at midnight. But no, like that, you know, when I stayed there, I was like, All right, like I'll do anything, man. Like, you know, I, I thought I had it all figured out at 25, like graduating grad school, married the whole nine yards, and, you know, looking up at the decrepit roof of my forerunner slash apartment. And I was like, oh, I got to try something. But that, like, I don't, I don't meditate in the conventional sense but you know when i said it yesterday i just said it haphazardly like oh yeah no, I like basically fuck you man like I, I train and then i thought about a little bit deeper like well no i guess that is you know like you said it can be that first step that first step in like painting the exercises you're doing with your awareness with yeah. your breath and all like the tenets of, of sort of maybe more conventional meditation i think there's something beautiful to be acknowledged and not everyone can acknowledge this but i hope everyone gets the opportunity in their life to acknowledge there's something beyond your five senses that you can perceive in every moment that brings uh, this incredibly overwhelming feeling of gratitude and um, childlike wonderment into every moment of your life. You can experience that. Everyone can experience it just by paying attention. And most people are too busy mindlessly going about life and intentionally muting out the feelings and the thoughts. And that is a problem. And I get why you do, not you, but people. I get it. Like I've lived with people who are incredibly unconscious um, and they think that's the way to, to mask their pain. It's like eating the donut when you're hungry. Like, yeah, it's going to make it go away, but guess what? It's going to come back even harder rather than just sitting with it and saying, why is this there? Why is this awareness, this discomfort, this pain there? And how can I make it go away forever rather than just right now? Uh, I encourage everyone, and I hope I can influence people to find a way to become present with your pain, with your thoughts, with your discomfort, with whatever is causing you uh, anxiety. And I know that's a really scary place to go, but um, man, the beauty that exists inside of it, as you spoke about, right? To experience the bliss, you must experience the, the pain. Mm -hmm. And the deeper you can go into your pain, the more you can turn that into... Um, 
like, wow, I'm so grateful for this moment, right? For this moment, for being able to have an amazing conversation, an amazing dinner with you guys. Like, makes me so grateful for that. And I feel it on my soul. And that's just a different way to come at life, right? I can come into any circumstance and find so much joy and fulfillment in the smallest shit. And then the things that you think or used to think were important fall away. The superficial bullshit of having to keep up with the Joneses, you go, why the fuck would I do that? Like, I don't really give a shit about that. That doesn't do anything. The real fulfillment comes from inside. And this, for me, has almost been like an accident, right? Like I fell into this because I sat I didn't intend, I didn't sit down to intentionally go seek that. It's just something that's come of like, hey, I'm just going to become a little more present and intentionally sit with the discomfort and the discipline. And all of a sudden you're having these awarenesses. You're like, man, I just feel better. Like, and I'm really appreciating this apple that I'm eating, or I'm really appreciating this conversation or this connection I have with this human. That's fucking awesome. And I didn't know that existed as a child. I didn't know that existed as a professional bodybuilder because nobody told me. And at least certainly no one I would have listened to, right? Because you, you have this, this continuum, and you talk about this. Like, you have this continuum of people who are, like, you have the people who are the zombies, and they're completely asleep. And you have these people who are on the other end who are airy-fairy, have never had their feet on the ground. And they're just, like, living off in their own dimension. But nobody's done it in a way that's like, hey, like, this stuff exists, but how about we do it and actually do it in a way that we can communicate with each other and, and be respectful and grounded and, and, you know, maybe have something of value to contribute rather than just like, oh, you need to go and do tons of psychedelics and be crazy. But there's got to be some way to keep your feet on the ground and still live an incredibly fulfilled life. Well, I think it's, it's easier for those people who started with their feet buried in the ground, right? Like, sure. you know, we, we go back and forth on stories and growing up, like, <laughs> we talk about stuff in such a normalized way <laughs> that people are like, Wait, you guys actually like experience like like violence, guns, drugs, gangs, whatever, jail, death. Like this is all stuff that you were pretty like I've been to more I had, I have more friends who have fathers that committed suicide that than I have fathers. Right? Like and I was just I've been to a hundred more funerals than I've been to weddings. And I I had that before I was fifteen years old. So like when your boots are buried that much in the cement, it's like it's hard to even like I feel bad buying a pair of shoes. Like, I feel bad. Like, my friends bought me a super nice wallet. And I keep my wallet before the wallet they gave me was my two, my ID and my credit card with whatever cash and whatever country's denomination I had wrapped with the elastic band that keeps blueberry containers together. So now that I have my fancy wallet that my friends gave me, I keep the elastic band from the blueberries around it because that's got to keep my boots in the ground. Like, it's hard. Like, and this is something that I couldn't imagine. Like, you and my parents now, like, that they're older, you know, they're, we're not, like, broke they try and give me like whatever I want. It's like, well, I could take care of it now. But like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to calibrate that for someone else. Like we talked about this with having kids and like, you, you know, you obviously want to give the best for your kids, but the best for your kids isn't necessarily mon monetary stuff, right? The best for your kids is that experience. But you know, you don't want to, you don't my mom didn't want me to learn this by having a gun pulled in my head. Like my mom didn't want me to learn this by getting jumped behind the bar. It's, I did and I was okay. But it's like, how do you, like again, like how do you proceduralize this? How do you how do you dose this? How do you control for this? Because like you spoke, of, it's funny. You must have read Joseph Campbell's stuff, right? You talk about the hero bring for two. You know, the hero with a thousand faces, the the hero's journey. And one of the things he said at the end of his life, which I thought was interesting, and not many people cite, Joseph Campbell wrote a book called Follow Your Bliss. But at the end of his life, he said, No, 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 you should follow your blisters. Right. So here's this guy, like all he talked about was like, you know, fulfillment and happiness. And at the end he was like, no, no, that's not it. 
It's like you got to find that other side. So how do you, like, whether it's, you know, people that come through the Muscle Intelligence Mentorship, whether it's, you know, something as close as, you know, your own children, like, how do you, how do you calibrate for that? I'm still navigating. And, and uh, the only way I explain it to, to other parents who ask for that advice is it's always a dance. So I was with some very smart people last week and we we're having conversations about children. They don't have children. And they're like, well, you know, we, we think you need to break your children, like and that, their, their, their perspective. And that, that's not necessarily wrong. Like we, we were probably broken at some level in our life. Like you need to experience obstacles and challenge to let you know how strong you are. And I say this to my kids all the time. I'm not here to make you stronger. I'm here to show you how strong you already are. And you need the only way to know how strong you really are at your soul is obstacles. So there needs to be intentionally curated obstacles. There needs to be failure. You know, there needs to be winning. There needs to be losing. I have no idea. And I think it's a dynamic dance based on somebody's neurochemistry. Like we all have different neurophysiology and I can't curate something for one person that's the same as the other. So you almost have to like start to understand, you know, how far can you push yourself in this moment? Can I intentionally seek things that are uncomfortable? How do I feel? Could I could I have gone farther? Yes. We'll go and do it again. That's why I think training is interesting because you can explore it again next time. Like, hey, I didn't quite do like Will left a couple reps on the table in the deadlift today. We could have we know we could have left done a couple more. And like, if I'm Will, if I'm talking to Will later, I'll be like, hey, you did really good, but you still had three reps in the tank. Why didn't you go there? And I'm just gonna leave it like that and let him explore why didn't I go there, right? And I want him to explore that and like, oh, next time I'm gonna see, maybe I can go a little bit closer because you could have, but you didn't. And again, that's really superficial, but there, there's, an, there's an exploration of the psyche there to go, I stopped for a reason, don't know what it was. Maybe I just wasn't conscious enough to continue to thinking, like, like I could have been conscious and present and taking myself further. But again, leaving someone with the ability to think through their actions like that um, consciously is powerful. That's been useful for me. Like, oh, I saw that I bitched out there. Why did I do that? Could I have gone further? And, and then, you know, next time I'm going to go like conscious, I can go deeper. And consciousness, I think, is the key to going deep into anything because your unconscious response is always going to be to stop. Your unconscious, you know, you're always going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm, fuck that. That's uncomfortable. Don't touch the stove. Whereas if you're conscious of it, you're like fucking two hands on the stove. Let's go. Don't do that, people. Right, but right. you know. PSA. So yeah. So I, you, you get it. Yeah, I have a touching the stove moment. It's hilarious you use that as a thing and uh, like a an analogy. So when I was a kid, this goes to like you were saying. You know, being a parent, I I don't have any kids. I don't have any understanding of how you, one would raise children. But I looked at my parents the same way. Like very polar opposite people. My dad is like type B you know, nine to five, does whatever, super relaxed, not competitive. My mom's the opposite. Like my mom's way smarter than she gave herself credit for. Like she could have been an architect or a fucking genius, uh, but she didn't. It probably a symptom of your environment growing up in Windsor with nine siblings. But I always get along with my mom better because she's like that person who pushes you. And she's like, no, like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like you want a consequence? Go see what the consequence is. Where my dad's like, no consequences, never. Right. Like no consequences. Everything's like, it's okay. Or it's great. Whereas my mom's like, it sucks or you're okay. And I remember as a kid, I was in the, my grandparents' kitchen and they had a stove and it was older and the burner was really, really red. And I'd never seen the burner red before. Cause there's always a pot on it. And I was like, can I touch the stove? And I was like, the stove's very hot. Don't touch it. I was like, but I want to know, like, I want to know why it's red. And then she was like, don't touch the stove. And I was like, I just looked at her. I was like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to touch this stove. Right. And she was like, she didn't get up. She sat against the wall, 
there's consequences. With a Diet Coke yeah. and stared at me as I put my entire hand on the red hot burner on the stove and looked at her and instantly became conscious of my decision. Yeah. And she knew. And you know what she did? Just sat there. And I took my hand off the stove and looked at it. And I ran to the front of my grandparents' house out onto the porch to my grandparents, not to my mom. Because she didn't flinch. She but didn't get up. I think we talked about this last week. Like, the understanding and being able to calibrate consequence. Like for me now, like, and this is a very new realization probably in the last six months, if I'm not judged by 12 or carried by six, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I make no decision that if it's the the old thing, if it doesn't, if it takes longer than five minutes, or don't let it take longer than five minutes, it's not gonna last in five years. Like my decision-making process now is, am I going to die or am I going to jail? If no, carry on. It's the same as my kids. Is there gonna be a hospital visit? If not, go. Yeah. Like that's always literally the acid test. Like, are they gonna like how bad is the hospital visit gonna be? And if not, I'm like, go fuck, go, go do it. Like, if there's a stove involved, yeah, go ahead. My son is like, it's my my kids are very different, as you'll know. Yeah. Um, my son is very afraid of a lot of things. Whereas my daughter goes, uh, you know, she'll go, she'll do something. She's exceptional, and I go, baby, but you could have done this. She should, and she'll be like, okay, daddy, and she's gonna go back and do it until she can get it. Like, she'll do a backflip, and I'm like, baby, but you could have done this. And like. Go. She'll, go. she'll do it a thousand times until she gets the other thing. Whereas my son would cry if I said, hey, if I don't go, hey, like you did really well on that. If I said, hey, man, you kind of sucked on that. You could have done this. He'll cry. And it's this dynamic of like, I don't know how to nav- navigate this. We just have different psyches, right? Yeah. So you have to always have a dynamic process because every human being is going to be different. And I think hopefully we can quantify it eventually looking at neurochemistry. Like what's the neurochemical predisposition or maybe this is maybe my logical brain going overboard, but is there some neurochemistry or some neurophysiology that we could say, hey, this person's going to need that, that person's going to need that? Because clearly, and we didn't talk about this, but like champions are born, right? Correct. And champions are, champions are born with that neurochemistry of like, I'm seeking that fucking discomfort. That's not in everybody. Um, yeah, maybe you could develop it if, you're, if you have enough resolve and enough courage and balls, but uh, it's certainly people that are born with it. So. I, just, I think it's hard for people to calibrate the consequence down to that base level of the pyramid of needs. So like, am I going to die or am I going to have to serve three to five? Right? <laughs> like, no, but it's true because we, we exist and our consequences exist in this, in this outer valence of social media, our, our digital avatar. Sure. Like I said this the other day, like we've been having the fucking greatest week ever, man. Like came out, we're hanging in Miami, come here, chill with you. And it's just like, you know, there's this idea that goes around that like all this is a, just a very like finely tuned simulation it's like oh, that's fine whatever like if this is the best first player shooter of all time then i'm great but it's like i know for a fact that if we're in a simulation then whatever's going on in this thing this is definitely a simulation right like every time i log on and it's like i need to like i think a lot of people attach themselves to the simulation here and it's like look you could be running a simulation that allows you to pick up the second simulation like layers of inception like you need to start to worry about the consequence in your first player shooter simulation rather than like, oh, I can't post this or like got to be careful of this. Like right. I think people are just so uh, they're just so distant from that base level of the pyramid that the consequences are so like ethereal and like higher up in self-actualization and like, like who gives a shit? You know, I didn't realize how much of a facade social media was. I know that sounds really ridiculous, but I didn't realize how much it was just complete and utter bullshit until I had one person very close to me and I didn't really watch them online and I, and I started watching and I was like are you fucking kidding me like it's this complete dichotomous reality like who you actually are in in, in person is 
complete and polar opposite of what you portray online. And I was like, oh, is everyone like this? Like, I just assume everyone's just real. My fucking ignorant mind goes, well, everyone's just going to be honest and be real, and they're going to tell the truth. And maybe they put their best foot forward, but they're not going to be polar. Like, no, fucking people are polar. (laughs) It blows my mind. To me, it's the scariest thing in the world. Yeah. Like, I've I've been in situations You're creating false realities. Well, I've been compulsed to make it seem like things in my life were a way they were that they weren't on, like, social media. And I won't, because I've just seen... Like maybe it comes from having your boots on the ground, like growing up the way we grew up. But like I've seen that wedge; it's like a crack in the cement. Like if the second there's a divide between, like a dissonance, because you can have a cognitive dissonance and tell yourself things, and you, you know, at a certain point you'll sort yourself out. Like if you're dissonant about a situation, you can't read a room right in real life in this simulation. At a certain point, growing up, you're just getting punched in the fucking head, mm-hmm. and then that that maybe, but not you're not allowed, right? That's the challenge. I think we should bring that back to. Oh to well, that's yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. but we grew up in a time where that was allowed right. and to a certain degree encouraged. Like I remember, I got home from the bar one night. I went to uh, the beach on Olette, downtown Windsor. Shout out Windsor, and I got punched right at the bridge of the nose. And man, I woke up the next day and both my eyes were black. First yeah. thing my mom said when she came down over the stairs, "What'd you do? What'd you do? Yeah. What'd you yeah. do?" It's like I mean, I'm fine. Thanks. By the way, she's like, "Yeah, you're here. Whatever. You're fine." Yeah. But like, what'd you do? But like to me, because there, like there are no, there isn't that real, that real base level consequence. Yeah. People operate in this dissonance. But like I've seen it, I've seen it put people in the hospital. And like I was, like I was hospitalized with anxiety attacks when I created a cognitive dissonance just in my own simulation of like, oh well, you know, I'm 25. I finished grad school. I got this fancy title, this great job, white picket fence, dog, wife, all but this I stuff. I still feel like shit. Dude, I mean, I've told this story to you a hundred times. Like we climbed that mountain, the Sierras, the the. That was a year to the day after I was hospitalized for panic attacks. I'm like, look, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die on my terms with my friends on this fucking mountain by some bobcat <laughs> or heat stroke or whatever the fuck. Like, like that lady's going to try falling off a pipe in the last <laughs> mile and a half. But it's like that was a conscious decision because I was like, look, man, like that was a dissonance that I, I could not deal with. But that was just a dissonance in my own life. People have that dissonance in their own life. And then that gets fractured further on social media. Like you said, just having this complete opposite what, what avatar. Was the, what was the... Um what was the reason for the dissonance? Uh, I think like societal pressure. Like maybe I just, I didn't know what I wanted. So I just did what I thought people wanted me to do. Right. Like, you know, I grew up where it's like education, education, education. My sister's extremely successful. She's a medical doctor. I play one on Instagram. Like I, I just, I went to Cairo school. I was always, my sister was in, not to put anything on her, just a contrast, like my family and having to deal with me. Like my sister was, captain of the high school swim team full ride scholarship masters no respiratory physiology med school i was getting punched in the head at bars i was coming home three four uh, inexplicable amounts of cash <laughs> like i would just end up gone for a few days at a time so like it was it was tough on my parents so once i went to chiropractic college i was like okay like this is the track this is what i do that's what my parents did that's what my sister's done you go to school you you get the job you get the girl you get the house you get the dog and then, then you just you just work until you die, and then I did that for I don't know, like it was maybe two, three years in a practice, maybe not even. And I was just like, all right, well, I clearly didn't want this. And then, then it was like, all right, start from. But you zero still and, proved to yourself that you could, and that's there's so much in that, right? And and people often ask like, how what do you think about university? What do you think about competing in bodybuilding? The answer is they're both fucking bullshit. But what they do is they prove to yourself that you're willing to stick through something that you that you set for yourself, and that is that's the win, and that's where I think all of these things 
are incredibly valuable. You don't go to university for the fucking piece of paper. Who gives a shit? Prove to yourself you can follow through something that's hard. And the harder you can make it, the better, right? Go and find the hard degree, the one that you suck at. And prove to yourself, like, man, that really sucked. You know, grab on tight. I'm not sure how I'm going to make it through, but I'll make it through. And when I do... I'm going to feel fucking good about myself rather than going to picking the bullshit arts degree and saying, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with myself. I'm going to pick the easiest degrees in basket weaving and whatever the fuck else they do and just get by because then you're not developing anything of significance that you could take with you to your life beyond that, right? Intentionally seeking those challenges like you've done, even though it wasn't the right challenge for you at the time, you still developed character. You still developed, you know, belief in yourself, no matter what shows up in life. I got it. Right. Because that's when you can come down to the, to the base of the hierarchy of needs, because then you're like, well, I know all those other things will take care of themselves. I just need to make sure that I'm not going to die or be in jail. Right. I think once you have that belief in yourself that all of those things are going to be taken care of because you'll do whatever you need to do to do it. It makes it easier to, to go deeper on, on things that actually matter. It's like. So I have extreme anxiety at the airport for whatever reason it may be. I think there's a lot of expectations of me at the airport. There's a lot of rules to follow. There's a lot of people staring at you and your identification. And the consequence is high. A lot of consequences are very high. Timing is important. A lot of things stress me out. So whenever we go to the airport, I fucking sweat. Sorry, dude. We were sweat. it to make this flight. Yeah, and then we fucking ran. I had these slides on, and I'm like, my fucking anterior tib is seizing up. I'm falling on the ground. <laughs> it's a nightmare. But like what you're saying about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and like go, moving through these doorways and you get to this, the tip of the triangle and everything just kind of opens up. It's the airport. You get into the airport, you got to fucking do your boarding pass. And there's a bunch of bullshit on this computer. You got to weigh your bag and you got to get your shit that fits in a thing. You got to go through security. You got to take your shoes off and your liquids can only be a certain, uh, how many ounces is everything? Three. I live in Canada. What is three ounces? I have no idea what the fuck that is. <laughs> it just throw it all in the garbage. And that's usually my response. It, just throw my shit out. I'll get new stuff. So you get through security, and then they, they want to wipe you with some swab. Always me, because I'm scummy. He's clearly covered in yeah. cocaine. Can we take your hat? for? There's nothing in my hat. I don't have anything in my bag. The wallet is empty. So you get through, and they give you your shit back, and you open up the door to the terminal. Man, you ever been in a nice airport terminal? You get through the place that you could have three ounces of piss. You get into that you can have fucking whatever you want. Ham sandwich, Gucci bag. Yeah, Johnny Walker Red. A gummy bear bigger than me. You fuck it. Have whatever you seven bottles of water. Do whatever the fuck you want in here. Buy headphones. Use an iPad. Go to the bathroom. Freedom. And that's the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You got to go through these doors. You have to do what you do when you have to do it. The minute you get to the top, there's no question of, of what it is you get. Because it doesn't matter anymore. You're in the terminal. You can live in the terminal. I know I've lived in one. I've literally lived in an airport terminal. I had no need to leave. I had nowhere to go. I had no money to get a hotel. I just stayed in the terminal. I was safe. I just checked the arrivals and departures, just moved to the next one. I got 10 minutes. This gate's closing. Actually? Yeah. How long? Uh, two days. Really? Yeah. In Vancouver, I, ran, I did bobsled. I ran out of money, so I had to leave. I was asked to leave the, uh, the dormitory because I couldn't afford it anymore. I ran out of stag chili, got on a bus with the last money I had, uh, left all my ID on the bus, because I was really anxious. And I forget things all the time. I got off at the airport, get to security, get through security, because it's a Canadian flight, doesn't matter. Get to get on the plane, I have no ID. And they're like, you can't get on. And I was like, well, how do I get home? And they're like, that's not our problem. Go find an ID. I'm like, I have nothing. I'm Canadian, it's me. 
it's me, Killian. We all know each other. Uh, and they just told me to leave. Uh, so I called my parents and I was like, hey, I, d I never do this, but I'm stuck in the airport. And they were like, uh, we can't pay for a flight. I was like, okay. I don't know what to do. I have no idea. I can't rent a car. And I was just there. So I just lived in the airport. I went and sat at the baggage thing. I was like, hey, I had to go to the fucking thing. I was like, can you get my bag off the plane? I have nothing. Uh, so then I had to sit at the baggage for two and a half hours for them to get it off the plane. It cycled all the way around. The guy handed it to me like an idiot. And then uh, I had no money for a hotel. So I just went back up to the terminal and I stayed there. The next day I left, I went to Value Village. I gave away all of my possessions. Uh, I went to the bookstore and I bought Into the Wild. And uh, I went back to the airport terminal, slept there. Went back around the city for a day, back to the airport terminal, slept there. And then I got a free flight from WestJet. I messaged a guy on Instagram. But that recalibrates all of your struggle. Trust That's what me. I love about travel. Yeah. Like last night, like yesterday was like, I don't want to say a bad day because any day above ground is a great day. But like, I was going, I'm going through some shit. <laughs> I'm with this guy. He's just like narrating my life. It's like having like a, <laughs> he's, it's like having like a, like a, oh, what's his name? Like, a, like, like a white Morgan Freeman. It was like Joe Pesci <laughs> from The Godfather is the narrator of your life. Oh, but it's like, I've had so, and it's always travel. Like, you know, I ordered a pizza, but I ordered it to our traffic <laughs> Airbnb that we weren't staying in anymore. So I had to drive my Audi rental car right into the middle of the hood and pull a pizza off a stoop of some like gangster <laughs> trappos we stayed in the night before. But it's like, I don't know. I, it's just recalibrated your experience, right? Like that is like, I've reached, and this is similar to kind of the way you think is like every time I go through something, that's just dog shit. I just laugh. Like I've just, I've just had so much crap happen. Like, you know, it's some days. Some days your life is just like a fucking country music song. It's like your truck breaks down, your girl leaves you, your dog's dead. You're just like, yeah, this is this is a new low, which means like, all right, now I can now recalibrate all the other things I thought were shit. But it's kind of to your point earlier, like the idea of awareness creating consciousness means you now have a choice. You have a choice in which direction you want to travel. Your your choice is either you know medicating by whatever vice you want, or it's it's finding it's finding more consciousness in, through virtue. Right. And, and, but it starts with that awareness. Like, where am I on the spectrum? What direction towards this outer limit of the circle, the sphere of experience that can I travel to? And am I going to consciously choose to self-medicate with, with whatever, with drugs, with social media, with women, with money, with whatever, or am I going to choose the virtuous route and becoming more consciousness? Right. The only way through the only way out is through. Right? And that's, that becomes a challenging thing. And, and the one thing I, I'm really interested in is how do, you, how do you recalibrate your position on a day-to-day? Because, -day? like, you can find – and I, I find myself, like, doing dumb shit. And it's like, oh, oh, this is a vice play. Like, I bought three pairs of shoes in, like, a day and, like, rented a dumb rental car. It's like, what are you doing? Like, what the fuck? Like, what, what are you doing, man? And then it's like, all right, I, I, I see this constant shift. Like, okay, I try to be aware. But what direction towards vice or virtue, towards unconsciousness and consciousness am I, am I pursuing? I'm interested in how you start to check yourself. What? That's a good question. Um, so I do journal and reflect most days. Uh, the thing that I journal on every morning is what is the most valuable thing I can do today? And that's, that's a question I'll write and I'll explore every day when I wake up. So that's obviously very subjective and open-ended for a reason is because value can be provided in, in a lot of different ways. So I'll try to fill my time with the things that I value most. Otherwise, my time will get filled with things that I don't value or other people's values, right? 
So I literally tried to occupy, you know, of my entire day, all of it, with things that I value. And if it's any time that's not occupied with that, it's occupied with my children, which obviously is my highest value. So uh, that's that's it, honestly. And that's a you know person that comes to mind is Dr. John Demartini, and he says something to the effect of what I just said. There is like you fill your time with your highest value tasks, or someone else is going to fill them with their highest value tasks. And that's something I teach my kids all the time. It's like you get to choose your dis- you what you do, and if you don't, someone else is going to decide for you. So I suggest you decide. That's it. It's like so I'll, I'll sit down in the morning. I'll go. What are the three to five most important things I can do today, or that have the greatest value, whether that be to me or to my business or to whatever my family. Um, what's going to make the most money, what's going to have the greatest contribution, what's going to give me the most clarity, give me the most joy. Those are the highest things I can do that day. And that's what I'll journal on, get clear on, and execute. Who are you? How do I calibrate every day? Yeah, because, like, I mean, we we joke that we don't live real lives. And we, to a large degree, we don't. But I'm always interested, like, you keep your head on your shoulders, even though you have every reason and means to not Right, like you could just you could no, but like seriously, you could self-medicate with any of the things I just listed, and it not be an issue. You could still operate, right? Like I know the people like, you know, they go to the factory, they go to Chrysler's on fucking Tecumseh Road, and then their medication is beer throughout the day. Maybe they blow line up their nose on the weekend, watch NASCAR and football, and then that's their, they've made a choice, whether consciously or unconsciously, to go towards the unconscious, right? Now you're an aware dude. I've known you for a while now you seem to be gravitating more towards the side of the only way out is through. How do you do it? Cause like you read more than anyone I've ever met. Yeah. So I do read a lot of books. Like I have, I afforded that in my day via affording that in my day before I ever had a task to do. I just went like, I read at this time and I read at this time. I'll figure out everything else around it. Um, I think there's a lot of environmental influences on me recalibrating, like having done carpentry for so long and loving carpentry when I went to trade school, I went through the school portion of it. I was never good in high school. I was really good at trade school. And at the end, the last week of trade school, the instructor came up to me and he said, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what job do you want? Like, what company do you want to work for? What kind of carpentry do you want to do? Pick. You start Monday. Just tell me. I'll find you a place. And I was like, I want to do concrete form work, which is the hardest kind of carpentry to do. You're outside, you're pouring concrete, building forms, you're 50 stories up. It's dangerous. And he was like, you don't have to do that. He's like, you can hang doors all day if you want to. You can do fancy wood panels on the wall. I was like, no, I'm going to do form work. That's what I want to do. Like, there's virtue in form work. It's hard. Uh, and he's like, all right, well, fuck you, man. I'll get your form work job. So I went and worked for this tiny form work company. It was the worst thing ever. But I know the hours that I work, right? It start at 5.30 a.m., finish at 4 p.m., 5 p.m. And now living in Toronto with all these buildings going up, the environmental influence on me calibrating my day is I go get a coffee I can't go at 5 a.m. obviously, but I still wake up. I start work at 5 a.m., sometimes 3.30 a.m. I go get a coffee at 8, and I walk past a construction site on my walk. Like, I'll walk 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes at night. Um, And a book that I'm reading, I'll purchase as an audio book as well. And when I walk, I listen to the same book that I'm reading, and I just pick up where I left off when I can physically read it. Uh, And I'll find a construction site, and I just walk by, sit across the street, watch people work, go home, do work. I train at a certain time. So when I finish, it's the same time that everybody gets off that does carpentry. And as I walk home, they're walking to their car. And it's like this actualization of like everything in my did I did in my day, I did within the confines of what I was spent doing that I enjoyed, but wasn't, you know, virtuous or fulfilling to me. So it's like, I passed these people at the end of the day and they spent 12 hours on the side of a building 
And it's like, I spent 12 hours having the greatest day of my life. Do you feel like you're walking by yourself? My past. Yeah. And it's just like, I just know. And it's like, by walking by that, anything that was stressful in my day is gone. It's like, I could have been on that side of that fucking building being screamed at by some guy and spit on. And it's like the hardest thing in my day was I had to eat lunch a little bit later. Like, who the fuck am I? So I think that's a big thing that helps me calibrate in my day. And, and like, I know, like I yell and I say crazy stuff and I, I bother you and I, I can be, you know, manic in many <laughs> ways, but man, there's so many times I catch myself just sitting there staring at the wall and it's like, I'm so at peace with nothing. I can own nothing, possess nothing. I love books. I have those. You've been in my place. There were books. I don't have a painting on the wall. I don't have anything in my fridge. I just go outside like I did a Q&A once from a bench because I realized I sat there for two hours. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? I was just sitting. And it's like the consciousness, like you spoke about being conscious. And I think we have so many distractions in life that interrupt your ability to be conscious. You can't sit for five. You got to check your phone all the time. I'd never have to check my phone. Like it's a mechanism I was taught to do via hanging out with shallow and starting my own business and being more responsible. But man, like when I did carpentry, I checked my phone once a day to find out where I work the next day. You know what I did when I got home from carpentry? Sat, stared at the wall for two hours, read a book. Like, I'm so happy, like, being in my own head that it's like the, my calibration period is like I just spend, uh, I don't meditate, but I just sit there in silence. I hate loud noises. I don't listen to music. I just sit in silence in my condo. Sometimes I'll stare out the window. I just sit. I sit until I can think is what I do. I sit until, like, my mind goes silent, and then you start to think, and you'll realize that, like, you are so interrupted in your day being mindful of what's going on and consequence and goal setting and, and being present that when you stop for a second, like you're not stopping, like the motor's still running. You're like, okay, I'm going to stop for five minutes, but what do I do? What do I do in 15? What do I do tomorrow? What haven't I done today? Who do I have to call back? When am I going to eat? Have I eaten? Have I taken any caffeine? Probably. How much ephedrine have I had? But it's like, you just sit there and you just wait until it goes silent. And then all of a sudden you can think about these higher level processes. I can call you at 3 a.m and be like, hey man, like, what do you think about this skill acquisition idea? And is there a tie between like the ghost and the machine and the intent and cognitive and associative and autonomous and some other bullshit, Visio motor learning, targeting? Have you ever tried to hold your groceries and dial your phone at the same time? Like, did you notice a drop off in distal appendage strength? It's some stupid bullshit, but it's like, cause I just sat in my basement and I didn't go to sleep. I was like, I'm not tired. It's like when you're hungry, why do you have to eat? You don't, I've cut weight. I don't have to eat when I'm hungry. It's just a feeling. Just sit there long enough for the hunger to go away. Well, I can sit there long enough that I'm not tired. I just sit and then I'm like, okay, I'm not tired now. Well, at this point I can think because the only other thing I was going to be doing was literally laying unconscious in a bed. I think the difference from people who are like maybe unconscious towards vice or conscious towards virtue is the conscious towards virtue look for peace from mind and the con unconscious towards vice look for peace of mind. It's so true. Mm. Like I don't know what the exact we've been talking about so many things. Like my mind is literally blown right now, but this is the most, this to me is like, when no one's looked at her phone. This conversation happens over dinner. This conversation happens on a podcast. This would be happening regardless. Like so, this to me is the, this is it. This is everything. So it's like, I'll ball out sometimes. Like I will like fucking, I get on Instagram. Someone has a chain, some crazy cool shoes. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get some cool shoes. And then you know what I do? I buy these grass stained Adidas these white Steve Zizou life aquatic, ugly shoes. They're terrible. They're the worst things ever. Because you know what? I've never looked down at my feet when I've been in an experience I really enjoyed. 
I don't know what shoes you have on. I don't know what I, I shoes don't even Ben's know wearing. What clothes I'm wearing most of the time. Well, right? That's why you guys yeah, say it's and, always black on black. I dress. I, don't li- think. I dress the same as Ben. I've rolled up your at your house how many times wearing this outfit? Yeah. A black shirt that I order off a of nine, nine bucks on Amazon. <laughs> That's what I do. You guys look like communists. I buy one of the first things you said to me yesterday was uh, like, you know, new place. You're like, I'm so happy with nothing. And I think when you're happy with nothing, then you can then it's, a, it's the same thing conversation we had the other night. It's like you can be around people. If you're if you're happy with being around yourself, yeah, right. You can have things. Like you can ball out and get the chain. You can ball out and get whatever if you're happy with nothing. And I think that's that's the 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 awareness consciousness piece from mind versus because the same uh, the same outcome can can affect both ways, right? Someone towards uh, vice rather than virtue. Someone towards unconsciousness rather than consciousness could buy the same chain, but it's for you it's the experience, right? It's the fact yeah. that this is something that you know, it carries like we talked about the 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 Glenn Levitt versus the CC, yeah, right, and being able to like you know calibrate quality from meaning, yeah, right. So it's just, I think because you're happy with nothing, right? Because you've you know had some Portuguese guy hold your fucking tool belt at fifty five floors yeah. up, just being like, hey man, pull out that piece of the hardwood out of the, the the steel beams, like then you can that's that's not a move towards unconsciousness, yeah, right. Where I think people need to calibrate where they are from awareness towards unconsciousness and, and, and vice and peace of mind as their escape towards, you know, a consciousness further consciousness, virtue and, 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 and peace from mind as their escape. And gratification, man, like gratification is so dose dependent. It's the most toxic pursuit of life. I know this. I'm the king of absolute immediate gratification and man, is it toxic. And it's like being able to identify that from like an external means. External gratification is toxic. But understanding like, again, that's a very action-based outcome that is so temporal in nature. And it's just immediately it's gone. It disappears. And you're like, okay, I got to get it again. It didn't fulfill me at all. Yeah. But I think that's when, when you say like, you know, training is this a way to incur this stress with minimal consequence, become aware and conscious and peace, peace from mind. The one thing that that training can can allow for, you know, is is just that. Like, is what he was saying is the fact that you know training can can be this thing where you don't necessarily ha- like you're not going to have consequence. Like, what were you just saying? Oh, I just said like uh, like instant gratification right. is temporal. You're not going to get that instant gratification in training. You never get it, right? Like that. Your whole career was delayed gratification, right? And that 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 might be one of the most virtuous things that training could teach you, right? If you were to go tell someone to train. Like, okay, hey, I'm not bigger yet. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's not how this works, man. Mm-hmm. Like, come talk to me in 10 years after you've done everything right. And then then we'll see how, right, like that. I think that. I'm going to start selling the, the three-year program, right? It's like, It'd be incredible. everyone's like, it was abs in seven days. I'm like, abs in seven years. Yeah. And, and you're actually going to be someone worth talking to at that point. Yeah. Not just someone who, you know, thinks they're going to. going to be Steve Chan. Whatever the fuck that guy's name was, White and the end of whole you two days. But I no, know, I, uh, Mike Chang. Mike, Mike Chang. Chang. <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah, th- it's funny. I got a message from him yesterday. He's doing some online summit, and he's inviting me to come. I'm like, there's no way. So we no, you got to do yeah. it, but you got to do it in the black wife beater with a white backdrop. Like he's selling you the fucking sham wow. <laughs> like, no, yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, yeah. it's. I, I think to double back and maybe put a bow on this, like uh, for a lot of people listening, this training is probably a habit. Right, but it's you can choose the 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 path based from like become aware and are you using training 
as a virtue to, to instill discipline, to instill, you know, a, a consciousness, to instill, you know, this, this idea of delay gratification and find peace for mind or using, are you using training to, you know, Instagram it and get the instant gratification right. are you using it as a self-medicating mechanism and when it becomes unconscious or mindless change it you, like if you're doing the same stuff over and over again it can't be conscious it, by definition you're mindlessly doing it and that can be a gift like we sometimes teach an unconscious competence when it comes to squatting and deadlifting and things that we want to be really good at that's a gift but it can be a conscious gift, meaning I can I can know that I'm going to be unconscious on this thing, and I'm striving for that because I want to be really good at the skill. But when I become conscious un, or unconsciously competent, it could also become the the curse. So I have to be aware of like, okay, when I'm doing the same shit over and over, which is I think 99% of the people in the gym, if they find something they're good at, they go more, they do more of it. They find the routine they like, they do more of it. Change it, flip it upside down, do something completely fucking obscure and different. I love when new people come to the gym. I'm like, you tell me what to do. I don't want to think. I'm going to follow. I'm going to be very aware. Of, I mean, I don't want to like follow my normal routine. So I want to be present. Um, I think it's, I, don't know, I think there's so many amazing opportunities that exist within new challenges and new intentionally curated obstacles. That's the thing with, with skill acquisition, right? Like you talked about being unconsciously competent and like being able to squat and bench and, and deadlift and whatnot. And it's, that's the autonomous phase of training. That's when like perturbation challenge to movement doesn't exist anymore. But within this model of skill acquisition, if you didn't look at it as a triangle, but a circle, it's like there has to be a cognitive element. Like there has to consciously be a perturbation to movement driving forward the progression. Like I can do pull-ups now literally all day. I could come here and every 15 minutes I could crank out a bunch of pull-ups and I do pull-ups every single day. But that's not the part of my workout. That's the progression. The progression is this cognitive perturbation of movement at the beginning. I find some new way of challenging stability or coordination or, or thoughtfulness or mindfulness in my training. And when I'm exhausted from that pursuit, I go do the pull-up thing because I'm not physically tired and I need to be physically tired in order to leave. So the pull-up will never drive my training forward, but it will never be eliminated, for, eliminated from training because it is the thing that drives me to train. And there's an element that drives my training forward. Mm. It's it's the Jordan Shallow, the vegetables and the spaghetti sauce. You got it. I'm so it's crazy to me that you know my sound bites because yeah. I could go through all of your old YouTube content <laughs> and just like gnaw <laughs> sets, single arm dumbbell rows to right. infinity. Boom, yeah. boom, on the high bicep curl. Dude, I gotta see that video. I have no idea what like, video. We're, it is. we're your biggest fans, man. Yeah. I always have been, always will be since Thank day you, one. Man. Likewise, vice and virtue, Ben Pakulski. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah.